welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases, sponsored by Murray's Brewing. We've got a guy that I've been listening to for a long while, Mr. Charles Jenkins. Pointy, you've listened to Ice Cream Hansen, a bit of a solo work? Yes, certainly have. I think probably since high schools, but we won't daunt the man <laughs> with um, our fandom. Maybe let's move on to our subject that Charles has chosen, and we'll let him introduce it himself. Yep, it's songwriting. So a very daunting <laughs> subject to choose, uh, with a, a breadth of topics we could get onto. Yeah, I figure it's good to start wide. Hopefully we'll, we'll narrow we'll the focus. We'll cast the net wide and see what we catch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think best place to start with is, I mean, you wouldn't have considered yourself a songwriter until you'd written a whole bunch of shitty songs. When did you start kind of writing? I, good question. I, I started early because I was such an inept guitar player still am but from an early age I was quite inept yeah it just it was easier for me to come up with songs than than learn mm. songs mm. eventually I I learnt a lot of songs which I think that is probably the the basis of any songwriting kind of tutorial yeah would be learn as many songs as you can I was kind of blessed that I had that I have older brothers and an older sister who um dabbled with the guitar and so there were songwriting books lying around there was a, a Beatles book yeah little chord pictures and everything and almost a bible really re- yeah <laughs> pretty much you know I've, I spoke to someone just last week and um, he, he said yeah if every songwriter learnt 50 Beatles songs actually learnt them it's a great start mm. To because how they can... you, know, you know four chords and you go right I can learn a lot of Beatles songs but then boom you start coming up with ones in between you go oh I've never I've never played that chord before I've never learnt that chord before and you start getting more in your wheelhouse you know yeah absolutely it was um, for, you've reminded me for a long time I'd write songs because I would learn a chord and I would yeah. think because my hands are just so kind of uh, knotty and gnarly yeah. I, I would think Okay, the best way to learn this chord to get you know the muscle memory there is to write a song. Yeah, it, maybe that thought came later because initially it was just like the excitement of wow, what's mm. that chord? That's a G seven or something, you know. And Beatles stuff is deceptively simple. You don't hear it until you start learning it, and then once you've learned the chord, you hear it everywhere. Mm. They, they, again, they're a perfect example of. of I suppose they 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 uh, embody that. 10,000 hour rule or something that yeah. people yeah. talk about, you know? Yeah. Because they did those years in Hamburg. Yeah. And they were playing like eight hour sets and stuff. Eight hour through. sets and having to learn every single song. They would lean upon every style yeah. and therefore every chord. And you could see, you could see that in their work, but importantly, you couldn't hear that in their work yeah. because they, I think. I'm not sure who, who the, I, I know Leonard Cohen said this, but I'm not sure he was the first person to say it, but the whole art of songwriting or any art form is hiding the art. Mm. So, for example, when I get a review and they talk about me being a, a craftsman, I kind of think I've failed <laughs> because I think, well, that's, I've shown you them. You that. My, yeah, no, you yeah. should, you should think, that that song has fallen from the sky. Some arcane magic that you yeah. yeah yeah not that I've spent 
10 hours on it or three minutes on it or whatever the case may be yeah because you do I've, I've sat on songwriting panels where there are other people that have mentioned how they go off into the desert and take lots of drugs and and wait for the muse to appear and i kind of look at them sideways and think that's really bad advice to yeah. be given anyone kind of thing you advocating like you get patchy results at times <laughs> yeah and get lost in the desert and and, and die <laughs> you may not come out with an album but you may not come out <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know i reckon like a lot of the th- a lot of my favourite songwriters I've heard say, you know, the hardest, the hardest thing is finishing them. You come up with great ideas and then they just sit in your pocket. But that's and like everything in life, surely. It's yeah. it's very easy to start things. Yeah. But it's a work to craft them. You know, like occasionally you may get something that ploughs out. But you know, is that the same with you? You know, it takes well, there's, ages there's, to craft something. There's that really good example where where Lennon says how um, he was trying to write a song for five hours and was having no luck and then all of a sudden nowhere man just popped out at the end and so that's an example of just as Cole Porter says inspiration is drawing the 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 chair up to the desk or inspiration is a phone call from my director so it's just doing the work and because you it's like it's it's like any kind of thing where you where you try and get better at something if you put the hours in mm. and thankfully songwriting for me has always been fun yeah I've, I've always enjoyed it's never been too laborious well it's time intensive time intensive um but that's time well spent mm. and you're always trying to think of when you know when i do these songwriting workshops one of my mantras is the answer to your song is in your song so if you're stuck you just have to look at what what's working. Mm. The rhythm is working, okay. So therefore, what do the what what will the rhythm imply upon the melody and the lyric? Mm. The lyric is working, okay. So therefore, what will it say about the melody? The melody is working, okay. So you just go through it like that. It's easier said than done. You still you still have to make sure that yeah. You know, there's there's two aspects to any kind of art form. It's 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 the invitation. Mm. where you either look at something or hear something or see something and you're captivated by it and you're drawn to it and then the second part of it is the reward so for the for the person that comes back and comes back and comes back to the song or the painting or the film or whatever there has to be enough depth to it to Mm. reward them so those two aspects of songwriting a thousand pages long yeah. just to try and figure out what what is the invitation what is the reward I was thinking about that you know the best songs the ones you know it's like it's like looking at a painting and noticing more and more as time goes on you know? mm-hmm. yeah and you never want to and you never want to look at a painting and think that's an incredible painting that must have taken that person five years to do you just no. want to look at that we'll painting and go wow yeah wow oh, that absolutely. thing is amazing and it's just the good thing about learning songs is that you do get to the nitty-gritty yeah of it all and really um your brain at some point in time i think is i think human beings always want i think our brains operate in that in that that realm where they want to know yeah. why how does this work and it's and I think the reward is 
it's not necessarily, um, how do I say this? It's not necessarily when you get there, but I don't know, you tend to move on to the next thing straight away. How does that mm. thing work? How does that thing work? So in, in each one, you know, you you break it down to its parts and you find a spare part for yourself. You know, you find a chord that you can bring into your own thing and enough spare parts, you've got your own your own thing. There's a, there's a great question. There's a, a, a thing where um, Nick Lowe is talking about mm. how, um, you know, you start off writing songs and just aping or copying that guy. And the first 10 songs you write, you sound like that guy. And then hopefully over a period of years, and this is what happened to me, you learn, you get to work out so many different types of songwriters, that their, their songs, mm. that you end up sounding like yourself. Yeah. The more that you take in, the you more... you cherry-picked enough from enough. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of counterintuitive to a, a degree, but the more that you take from others, the more you'll sound like yourself. So that's why I always advise people to to study different art forms and I remember yeah. when that whole DVD thing came out and they had the making of the movie kind of thing <laughs> yeah. and I would watch that more than the movie yeah. I was just really always still am curious about how did they do that yeah how did they how did they get that thing rolling how did they solve that problem I've got a very good friend who um who does very well writing for movies and and um I he got asked by the Weinsteins, by the mm. by the brothers, like, how are you going to... Um, he was explaining this, this the synopsis for a movie. And they said to him, so how, 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 are you going to, how are you going to finish it? Like, what happens at the end? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to... I'm going to work at it long enough that I'll figure it out. Mm. And because I think that I would start a song kind of thinking that I must know the answer to it. I must know where it's headed. Well, no. no, of course not. You just start because you love that chord or or you want to write a song that, that people can dance to or you want to write a song that people can weep to. And they're those kind of... Um, if, if, if I ever have an idea, which I doubt, it's those kind of ideas that or notions that come to mind. I want to write that type of song or that type of song or... That's how, that's how things generally begin. Stripping right back to, like, when before you started, you know, learning because you only knew a certain amount, you, it was easy to write songs and learn them. When did you sort of feel like, you know, you were writing, you were yourself, you know, writing from your own perspective? It took 10 years, I reckon. 10 years? From about 15 when I started playing guitar until about 25, I reckon. And by that stage, unfortunately, I'd put out a few records. So I should have not. Yeah. I should have stayed in my bedroom a little bit longer but that never kind of happened um, so it, it, it took it about 25 my my first kid came along yeah. and I realized you know because you go from having eight hours on the couch writing songs to about two minutes in the shower mm. in between the child needing whatever yeah. And that's when, and so I got better at coming up with ideas away from the guitar. Yeah. But because I'd learnt chords and 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 knew if I heard a melody, I could mental know what shorthand for. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of became not so much writing with the guitar, but getting an idea as loose as that may be, and 
grabbing the guitar quickly and if going you've got a bang, melody bang, in bang. the shower, you build the chords around it and then you can take it from there, right? Well, yeah, and, and, and be it a rhythm or be it just a notion or be it a title, yeah. you know? Titles are a great, great way to, to write songs. There's How a lot you... of people that advocate that's probably the only way to write a song. You know, a title, which yeah. is an idea. Yeah, because, because when, you, when you think about it, the, uh, um, there's an American... Uh, uh, songwriting teacher and poetry teacher called Pat Patterson mm. and he um, his great line I'm not sure if it's his but he, you know, the, he says there is rhythm in the word rhythm and melody in the word melody so when you have the title it has its own motion yeah. and its own, its own rhythm and its own melody so he, he explains it as having the, the, the DNA of the song is there so then the task becomes the Donald Rumsfeld thing of the known and the unknown. Mm. You know, if you take people too down the path of the known, it becomes boring. Yeah. Whereas, for example, if you've got the, the DNA of... of um, uh, uh, I'm trying to look for a title in this, in this, <laughs> in this thing. Uh, anyway, it, you know, if, if, if you take them too down the path of, of what they would expect... And, and music's a weird thing because sometimes a lot of people just want to be fed what they expect. Mm. You know, they'll just... But then complain when that happens. <laughs> well, well, they, you know, they'll go to the pub and, and have the steak every Thursday kind of thing and that's mm. it. Whereas yeah, the person making the steak probably gets pretty bored. This is a really bad metaphor and I might just abandon <laughs> it right about <laughs> no, now. No, I'm going to expand on that bad metaphor. The, Okay, you go to you go to the same restaurant and you get the same steak every Thursday, but every now and then there's a different sauce or a spice in the sauce, and you're like, oh fuck, that's different. That's good. It's sort of you know in a great pop song, you want certain conceits of a pop song, but there's something in it that fucking it twists it or it makes you, you, it different. You you want the unknown. Yeah. You, you want that part of it. Brian Wilson referred to it as smart dumb. Yeah. He, refer, he told it to Van Dyke Parks, he said, every great song you hear is smart, dumb. Mm. He never went on to explain it because he's Brian Wilson. <laughs> from what I take from that is that there's an element to it. It's that invite-reward thing again. The dumb thing is it sucks you in straight away. Boom, yeah. boom, boom, da, boom. Or, you know, like at the beginning of, um, let, you know, if we look at California Girls or something, yeah. um, there's that... Um, let's um, his words, not mine. Yeah, I, yeah no, no, I get you. I, I think it's wonderful. Me too. I wish they could be California girls. In, beautiful, right? Great, great, great. No worries. I'm sucked in. I'm hooked. You, you, I'm, I'm there. I'm going to listen to the song ten times. Yeah. There's that wonderful introduction to that song that. That just makes me listen to that song about a million times. That reminds me of. I'm curious what you guys think about. Uh, uh, because uh, one, I, I've, I've been teaching this course on lyric writing hmm. down in Melbourne, and um, what, what, what do you think of the, 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 the proposition, is it called that, whereby a lyric can turn a good song into a great song? I think that's a good proposition because I'm not a lyric person in songs. Like, I love the Beach Boys and I love Brian Wilson's writing because of his melodies. And I think that I would listen to it regardless of the lyrics, but if it has a great lyric, 
there's something in it on top of that excellent melody or on top of that excellent arrangement that I go, oh, ooh, that's good. Yeah, for, well, for me, I guess it doesn't need to be a brilliant lyric to bring you in. It just needs to be something that relates to you and it might not relate to the person next to you. Then um, I guess that's part of that magic, I guess, where there's yeah. the, the structure, which is you know something you're learning, but then there's the lyrics, which could come from anywhere. The word magic is really important, I think. Mm. Not, you know, how, however you, you use it, but there's, there's that, that whole charm aspect to, 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 to writing. Um, and by that I mean a charm as in an incantation or a charm as in something that um, would be said by um, indigenous people in... in northern South Australia when they see a shooting star and they mm. don't want that evil spirit to come mm. to come down so they have an so they have a particular charm or a particular group of words that they use Eskimos have the same for something else like the if every every those situations oh hang on so it, it's right down to Shakespeare also so f for example when the witches in Macbeth are sitting around toil toil boil and bubble or whatever kind of thing like yeah. that, that that's a charm that you use and these things stick in our head and we're not exactly sure why we mm. don't know why we can remember these things but I think it's part of the, our, 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 our DNA and our genetics in, in those things are able to lodge themselves in our heads and we don't really understand them you know the the, the worst the, like the polar extreme of that is is that song i'm too sexy for my pants <laughs> you know we all know that song yeah. and that's stuck in our head and if he had have said i'm thinking about uh, 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 steak tonight or something yeah. That would not have worked, but because there's... I don't know, I feel like chicken tonight did pretty well. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, now I'll, that's I'll a good that. Yeah. But no, I get you. Like, uh, what is it that makes that thing work, but that thing not lyrically? Well, see, just words, essentially. Well, the, the, the Greeks, God bless them, knew. They knew. Sappho knew all of these things. The Greeks had all these flowers of rhetoric, as they're called, that that just as Shakespeare was... Shakespeare had written a fir, uh, his first three, two or three plays, nothing, nothing happened to them. No one, no, one, no, no one can recite anything from them, kind of mm. thing. But around the time that he was starting, there was a book came out, a very popular book in England, that talked about rhetoric and what the Greeks knew. England was going through its renaissance a bit mm. later than the rest of Europe. And so Shakespeare read and studied that book and so the next play that he wrote had that line, first thing we do is kill all the lawyers. And so it, it, obviously it's a great line, a great couplet, but the, the fact that he's saying the first thing we do immediately has you, is what? The yeah. first thing, you know, has, yeah. you, has you straight away. My horse, my horse, my kingdom for a horse. There's that repetition. Friends, Romans, countrymen, things in threes work. If it had just been friends and Romans, no one, no one would remember it. Yeah. So the Greeks had all this sussed because, because of their love of language. Yeah. They had it completely down and they knew why it worked. And they also had actions to accompany each 
of these different types of rhetoric. And there's really? hundreds of them. And so Shakespeare read that book, and now people, and Sappho knew all about it. Yeah. Horace, the Roman poet that came, you know, after, studied, knew all of that stuff. So that's another part of the magic of lyric writing, of songwriting. Now you're just somebody that I used to know. You know, is it because of the now and the no? It's a great tune, it's incredible, blah, blah, blah. I might be digging a bit too deep. Mm. But all songs that can give you that reward, I think, are because of the lyric. For me, it's not, it's not ever, you know... I think it's more about, for me, less the content, more the rhythmical quality of lyrics. Well, like, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Speaking that's of, the chant, that's the incantation. That's, speaking of Beach Boys, that uh, Love and Mercy documentary that came out where, you know, Mike Love and the rest of the guys are saying to Van Dyke Parks, you know, Colonnaded Ruins Domino, what the fuck does that mean? It's yep. like, well, it's, I'm sure it had a meaning, but for me it's that sound and that tumbling little rhythm that it has in that song. It fits. It fits yeah. beautifully with what was being said. It's interesting when you when you study, particularly songwriting teams, and you have to. Again, it's it's sweat mm. to make it appear as though there was n no sweat at yeah. all. And so you've got Bert Bacharach presenting to Hal David. I've got these notes. Ding 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 ding. Mm. What are you going to do with that? And he yeah. could have he could have messed it up completely, yeah. but he was just brilliant enough to come up with, "Do you know the way to San Jose?" He couldn't. Funnily enough, that's do a song you know the way to set? Like he couldn't. stuck in my head. He couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't. He had you know those one syllable words to to deal with. Mm. It was only when the music at the end of that phrase offered him the possibility for a, I don't know. Again, I might be thinking about it too much, but but it comes back to that charm and the fact of trying to conceal the art. And you can, you can detect it when it hasn't quite worked. Yeah, I was actually going to say that. Do you think it's kind of a blessing and a curse for yourself as a songwriter to try and enjoy music? Because sometimes you can hear it and go, oh, see what you were going for there, but not quite. Look, thankfully I'm not... I think if I was a very... If, if I had perfect pitch or something like that, mm. music would just shit me non-stop. <laughs> But because I'm still entran uh, uh, just enchanted by, by melody and rhythm yeah. and sound, and that's what I go for first. Yep. I come across people that can just hear a song in one pass and be able to give you a, a stunning expose upon the whole thing, and I just yeah. think, oh my God, you're, how do you do that? <laughs> Whereas I need a couple of you know, passes at it. I think the yeah. melody's beautiful. On that note, I always use this example of, you know, when, when you're... When you're putting a lyric to something, try and imagine there's an old Spanish guy outside the door that can't speak English. But because of the rhythm and the tone and the melody and the instrumentation, etc., the tempo, etc., everything you can think of, he's got a pretty good idea about what you're singing about. And that's the other thing that, you know, I probably couldn't have, I sh you know, need not to mention all of the the Greeks and all of that palaver that I just went on about and just had said something like the lyric needs to be as catchy as the as the melody yeah and it's that whole thing they all just need to establish their own space together that they've, that they've fallen Leonard Cohen says many great things about songwriting <laughs> one 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 thing that he that he advocates is the sooner that he can get the the melody and the lyric 
together, you know, regardless of whatever happens first, mm -hmm. but the sooner that he can start putting the two together, because one will influence the other. Mm. Because if not, then it might sound like a melody attached to a lyric or vice versa, or, yeah. a, or a great guitar riff in need of a song, or mm. a song in need of a great guitar riff. All of those things that make you stop from merely liking a song to being completely blown away by a song. So that's, I think, what we're all kind of striving for, whilst at the same time not wanting anyone to think you gave a rat's yeah. about it. Yeah, I just, just like I, it fell out of you yeah, for all they know. I was in the desert doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Here it came. The other thing that Leonard Cohen said that's very important is um, your most personal answer will be your most universal. You need to get you in the song. And if I don't, I don't, to I don't. You, it appeals to others. Yeah, Robert Frost said, "No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader, mm. no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader." You need to impress yourself. You need to blow yourself away. Mm. Sondheim also said, "If you ask me to write a song about love, I will say to you, oh, okay, well, you got to give me a month or something. But if you ask me to write a song about um, falling in love with a girl who likes." The $12 steaks on a Thursday night with chips and salad and, yeah. and loves loves the gumball machine at the Maitland Hotel, at the That's Grand Junction Hotel. Right he said, I'll have that song for you in the morning. Hmm. God is in the detail, he says. He says in a number of, sometimes a wonderful songwriter and also a wonderful songwriter to read about because he's got this kind of he's got these four four rules content is form less is more god is in the detail everything heads towards clarity and because when you remember that he's writing for the theater mm. so you have to they the the audience has to know what's going on in this song yeah. we can't have all these songs that we hear on the radio these days where that's a nice hummable little melody. I've got no idea what the hell's going on. Yeah. Like, you can't do that in theatre. No. You've got to do two things, make the audience understand immediately what's going on, pretty much. Still there's the reward. And you've got to move the narrative along. Mm. And it wasn't until Oklahoma in 1943, more or less, that was the first musical where all of a sudden the narrative mattered. Prior to that, they would just would have a musical and they would think, okay, where's a good song? Who's got a good song? It's Tin like Pan Alley, you know, let's grab that, in. throw it in. Oh, that's catchy, yeah. let's go, kind of thing. Mm. So that's, yeah, so sometimes wonderful, but to mm. go back to the more personal your response, the most universal it will be, because everyone will appreciate it. Yeah. If you listen to a song and you think, Oh God, you know, I could have written that or, or that could have been written by anyone. You just you just lose your mojo mojo on it. Yeah. But if someone is mentioning something that's quite specific, either you'll understand it and be attracted to it because of its idiosyncrasy, or your brain will think, I want to understand that. I want to figure that out. What song that you've written? seems to be like that, that appeals most widely in two people and why? There's a, there's a, a, a song I wrote called Swing Bridge, which is on mm. Walk This Ocean, which really works. But why? Because um, 
the the the, the narrative is is very idiosyncratic. It's very descriptive, mm. um, and the chorus, which arrived about six months later, has. It merely says, I don't feel so sad no more, I don't feel so blue. Mm. But because of what's said prior and what is said post, each time that chorus comes back, it adds more, there's more to it. Mm. So you give the audience, and I obviously wasn't thinking this at the time, it's only in retrospect that I'm figuring out, such an easy kind of chorus gives the audience, or the listener, let's say, hopefully, an opportunity to reflect upon the stuff that's come Came out of your before. gob prior. Yeah. And so that's, that's if, you, if you stick with that song, there's a reward there for you. Mm. So you just, in those situations, you hope that the invitation is enough. You hope that there's enough, that, that the chorus is catchy enough or something like that. So I knew it took me a long time to write that chorus until I found something that just sounded as though it fell out of wherever the same time that the verse did. Hmm. When did you first have that feeling? Like, what was the first song of yours that you gave you that feeling? Well, there's that there's that song "Nipple," the Ice Cream Hand hmm. song, which I think works because it has again that idiosyncrasy of it, and it has a number of kind of catchy elements to it. But the reason I bring that song up is because I can still remember the time of day when I wrote it, like what the, the sunlight was like in the, in the mm. room at that time. And it's therefore, I think, because I, I knew it was, I was excited by it. Yeah. And it's the same remembrance I have when I, like I know where I was the first time I heard um, Nick Drake's River Man. I know the car that I was driving. I know the radio station it was played on. I know the intersection I was at. It's like when, a moment in your I life first... that has that kind of impact. Mm. Every time you experience it. Well, it's one of those life soundtracks when you look back over it. And, yeah. There's a charm to it. There's a magic mm. to it. And I sometimes wonder whether we're, you know, we're, you know, do we do we work hard enough as songwriters, and are we discerning enough as listeners? Because you know, radio can can jump on a song for a variety of reasons, and after you've heard it about four or five times, you might, oh yeah, I really like that song, kind of thing. But people and people can't really explain why. No. The same reason why they can't explain why they don't like a song. You know, yeah. they're all very kind of uh, it's instinctual. Uh, weak kind of reasons that they might they might give and because that's, they're trying that's to not find a fault a reason, though but it's because something feels a way to well, someone well, i think it's because a lot of time people just choose whether they want to like something for well for a variety of reasons you know they might i don't know have heard that somebody else likes that song they don't like that person who likes that song oh, so they okay. choose not to like mm. it I, I don't even think a lot of it's about the actual song itself. For yeah, me, it's, yeah. For me, it's all like the, the weather and the elements. It's like if I'm walking through a working through a pub and I hear a song and I love it and I've never heard it before. It's just you know knock you to the floor kind of thing. But... Well, the, yeah, the the listener is so important. I I know I've got some friends that I play my that I play stuff to, and I kind of after having done it a number of times, I I know when is a good time to play them. That's a, a song. Mm. You're, you're, I think you're too drunk. I won't play you this song because you, 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 
come down on it like a ton of bricks, you bastard, <laughs> because you had too many kind of thing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I always advise songwriters to play songs to people, no, regardless of who they are, and and actually kind of regardless of what they say at the at the completion of whatever it is that you've got, because I think that the fact that you've played it you're playing it to someone else, your senses are heightened. Because mm. I can be in my bedroom and writing a song and I'm just thinking, Grammy, <laughs> Emmy, this is, this, is, this is the business, this song. If you play it to someone, you want them to like it. But when they're hearing it, they're like, hmm, got this beer, hearing the song. There's a million elements. There's, there's a, there's, <laughs> that you've reminded me of, a, of, of another thing whereby I've, played a lot of gigs like this one I'm about to play mm. and um, and there's a particular there was a particular venue in, in Melbourne that I've kind of used as a as a mental template where people have gotten in for free and there's booze and they're with friends they haven't seen in a long time it's a beautiful sunny day and you're up on stage with your acoustic guitar which is you know kind of tantamount to an invitation for chatter people <laughs> see an acoustic guitar and think right let's talk yeah. great you know and in, sometimes in those situations I've failed miserably and other times not. And I've had to think, well, why, why is that? Mm. What, what was it about that song? And I've had to go through, in retrospect, go through that song and figure out, oh, and so I came up with this theory, I'm big on theories, yeah. called the firecracker theory. Yeah. And so with each line of your song, and you can divide that line up into whatever means you want, be it a, a, a lyric line or a melodic line or, or a, a rhythmic, a, a number of bars. And you have to think, have I thrown a firecracker? Is there something rhythmically, lyrically or musically in that line that is going to stop that audience member from turning to the person next to him and, or her and saying, how about those Newcastle Knights? You know, how you, you've, so that's your job to try and stop them. I like that theory in general and I like it as a whole, but I do think there are going to be people that want to chat while you're playing regardless. You know, there are going to be people that... Oh, man, I saw this um, Tim Rogers gig in Dungog for the Dungog Festival and there were people that were just walking down through the mud to the stage and just talking to him while he was on stage. And, you know, talking to him, to yeah. him, and, you know, mid song, mid song, right? And he's just baffling, right? And it's like, okay, there are going to be some people that, no matter what, you know, are just going to be doing their own thing. But I like that as a whole. Well, I, yeah. I just like to think that there's just some people who have no concept of how to behave <laughs> in in public situations, and also that you on stage can hear them. It's like, I know, people forget that. People yeah. don't realise that, the fact that the PA is pointing one way, <laughs> away from you, the singer, yeah. and they're coming at you, yeah. and they're louder than your foldback, if you have foldback. Yeah. And, yeah. You, it's like you, in a bubble. This guy's shit. <laughs> Let's go get a beer. <laughs> but, yeah, so I had to kind of, I, I kind of look, look at a song and figure out, is there a firecracker there? Am, am yeah. I... Am I and because, you know, I'm not writing for an audience or something, I just want, you know, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader. Yeah, I want course. that. I want... And, you know, I can't, I can't live off this Thank stuff. You. And so ultimately the, the reward is, is enjoyment. Mm. And 
and it's weird in that the 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 enjoyment is always the next song the enjoyment is always the one you're working on mm. when it's kind of done is it done is it i mean dylan's great at at messing with songs at infinitum because really when you think about it there's no done you know it's done when you say it's done but why do you say it's done because it feels right yeah, well, or, or, or you know, there, there's there's a deadline. I had to get it done well, to record yeah. the record. There's a deadline. Yeah. And he's wonderful the way that he just messes with it completely forever. Mm. I read a thing at Keith Richards' interview the other day, and he was saying about Jagger, how he rates him as you know one of the best blues harmonica players ever, mm. in the fact that. He messes about with it. He never does the same thing twice. Yeah. But when he sings, he kind of stays in the form it's of it. Structural when he sings. Yeah. And 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 Richards, I would would prefer him to loosen up a bit. Yeah, yeah. just mess with it as mm. as Richards himself does. It's very. It's it's one of those duo things. You know, it's Lennon McCartney and Simon Stanley. You know, there's always going to be one that's going to mess with it a bit more and one that's going to be more showman-like. They're, they're, they're just so interesting, the, the Lennon-McCartney songwriting partnership. Hmm. You know, when you want to discuss things melodically. Because Lennon had an amazing strength at, at holding a note and changing the chords around it. Yeah, I could hear that. So the harmony between the note and the chord was the kind of captivating thing melodically. Yeah. Whereas McCartney's also amazing at his ability to milk a chord oh, yeah. for so much melody. Like and and you can I know I know I've read interviews where I've you know, McCartney has apparently said to Lennon, Well you've used that note about a hundred times already in this song, why don't you kind of change it kind of thing and mm. um but the, the, I think their finer, finest moments, oh, I don't know about that, but when, you know, they, they, they could sometimes work so well together when you could hear McCartney's influence on Lennon's work mm. more so, I think, than... I think you know, Lennon would, help, Lennon would help with the lyric yeah. and McCartney would help with the melody, but I hope Davy Lane doesn't hear this because <laughs> he'll pull that to pieces. But... In that, you know, do you mean that in that, you know, Lennon sticks on a particular note or sticks on a particular thing while the chords move underneath, but McCartney opens him up a little more mm. in terms of his melodies? Mm. I figure that's the way that it kind of worked mm. best, mm. would point out. Plus also, also to the fact that McCartney was just, a, is a, you know, harmony, vocal harmony oh, king. Jesus. yes. And shorter Wilson, the the most brilliant bass player in uh, in 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 able to being able to add life to a song. Mm. When they got to about sixty six, when he started doing his bass last on the track, mm. and when you know that that's the process, and you listen to those songs, you realise, oh God, that's why I really like that song. You can hear it. The, yeah. You can hear the bass, and he's just incredible on it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, songwriting doesn't end in the bedroom. I, I, I do say like this, yeah, you, you, the whole creative process keeps going. Mm. 
even to you know from the way that you conduct your interviews when the record comes out from the artwork from the way that you want things to be sold how you represent that one yeah. thing that you made mm. it's a non-stop creative process so the more you know about all of the arts the more you know about painting and 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 and, and printmaking and and the mm. visual side of things obviously help your the song and know? winding down start thinking i'm going to ask you about you know just uh sort of couple of all-time favorite songwriters although the Beatles you know always gonna be everyone's but just quickly I always imagine you as a solitary songwriter are you one to collaborate a lot are you one to have that Lennon McCartney influence or are you I li yeah I like writing songs with other people like I've got a good friend in Sydney Joe Mears who I've written who he'll send me a, a lyric mm. and I'll write a song and I love that situation you've seen that footage where Elton John kind of opens up a book at page 38 and sings it like it's just incredible yeah and he was wont to say if you can't write a good song in in half an hour then it's not going to be a good song but he had a bloody good lyric in oh front God, of him yeah. half the time the structure right in front of him to build yeah the, the the dna and of course he's just so incredibly musical um i'm a big fan of randy newman he was my special subject on Rockwiz. randy newman so He's just got more balls than any other songwriter I can possibly think of. You know, Nick Cave and Tom Waits and Dylan, they're just kind of pussies with <laughs> regard to subject matter and him taking on the persona of that person, the untrustworthy narrator, And in he complete opposition, it. the reason I got into Randy Newman was via Pixar, you know? Mm, mm. Like, his work for Pixar, you know, he's just melodically brilliant, he's wonderful. Yes, yeah, his orchestration's incredible, his arrangement. There's that wonderful song on, uh, I don't know, it's Toy Story 1 or 2, but that the the, the girl sings it. The girl, oh, sorry. Um, it's about the doll that Jessie, gets thrown where away. she was left behind. Um, da, your da, wife's going to disown you. <laughs> yep. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. I'll yeah. keep talking. Here's, here's me just remembering the melody. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's when I realised just how incredible... Well, sorry, no, I knew that already because I'm a nut fan and his first five records are up there with, like, um, the Stones from 68 to 72 or the Beatles from 66 to 68 or 65, whatever, or those golden periods of when great, great artists. When she loved me, sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm usually not one for... You know, breaking the rules of pub trivia, but that, it was going to kill me if I didn't think yeah. of that song. It's a beautiful, beautiful tune. When somebody tune. loved me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy Newman's a big one. Look, there's I, I had the good pleasure and the good fortune to work in record stores for about twenty years. So mm. if there's any, and there were record stores where you could play whatever the hell you wanted to. Mm. Well, those obviously you're trying really. to. Hey? While those were still a thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you weren't told what to play. Obviously, you're trying to move oh, a record, but... but, still, yeah. but It was something was, you generally wanted to listen yeah, to. Yeah, and I was surrounded by music nuts. It was like more in the line of, I'm going to sell three copies of the CP by the band, <laughs> you know? And that was interesting to see the effect of rhythm, and, and that's not something I really got my head around until the kids turned up. Mm. Until I was about 25, 26. When I, and I could see how much rhythm moved them how innate it was to them. It was just so natural for them to get up and dance and jump yeah. around. 
and what happens to us? Why do we lose that? Why, why do white people have this kind of whole audience <laughs> kind of thing? You know, we're the only culture that has it. Yeah. And I remember working at a record store, and, and, and the, the, the counter was kind of raised a bit. And it's high fidelity, I know, but you could you, you put a record on and you could watch the 20 people in the store yeah. subconsciously just start moving about. But no one had told them. It wasn't, you know, it was their bodies yeah. doing this thing. So that was a great education for me. Some sociological study on, you know, movement, human, rhythm, mind, music. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it was... A, I'm very thankful that that was a part of the whole songwriting journey. Mm. You know, I was a long way into my whole songwriting shtick <laughs> at that stage, and it's not as if I'm, you know, going to be putting out a, a disco record at any time soon. But fuck, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for want of trying. Mm. No, brilliant. Thank you, man. That was awesome. Are we done? We're done. Great. Thank I mean, you. you can always talk more, but I think that that's, a, that's a nice oh, amount you've got to play soon. Oh, good. Yeah, I should go and learn these things that I'm about to play. <laughs> so thank you. No, thank you. No Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.